You are listening to a teaching series from Jubilee Church entitled Ruth. This series uses the book of Ruth to explore how God wields hopeless, difficult, and mundane situations in life to bring about hope, love, and redemption. If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Awesome. We turn to Ruth chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, uh, if you have, there's a black Bible in the, in the chair in front of you, and that's on page 222, page 222, um, Ruth chapter 2. And um, I don't know, how many here would say, like, you've hit rock bottom in your life? Like, okay, like, you know, maybe you, and not so much like you're scraping the bottle of the barrel, but like you took that barrel, you put it upside down, and there's just nothing in there. It's just totally gone. You've, you've not just hit rock bottom, you've not just hit bottom of the barrel, there's just absolutely, there's, there's, no, there's nothing in there. This is exactly where uh, Ruth and Naomi find themselves at the very beginning uh, of chapter 2. And, and in chapter 1, we learn that Naomi and her husband, Elimelech, uh, committed this sin, which sometimes it's hard for us to understand in our context, but they committed the sin of leaving their, abandoning really, their homeland in Bethlehem to go 50 miles to this um, uh, this town called Moab, which they thought was green, greener pastures. Uh, Moab, again, was about 50 miles from Bethlehem. And it is a group of people that came from this act of incest uh, from this guy named Lot. You know, Lot was the guy whose wife turned to salt, that guy. And uh, he started this, uh, this, this group called the, the Moabites in the land of Moab. And so they went over there for greener pastures. And it was against the will of the Lord. Uh, they had a couple of sons named Malon and Kilion, uh, which sound like they're less from Bethlehem and more f- like extras in Star Trek, like a Klingon family. You know, it's just these crazy. And they ended up taking Moabite um, women as wives, which again was uh, out, out of bounds. And um, further adding to just the collective sin of this, this family, Emelech, uh, Elimelech, um, Naomi, the two sons, and now uh, Naomi, or excuse me, Ruth, is one of the wives, one of the Moabite uh, women. And so Naomi, after the, their father dies, excuse me, the husband dies and the two sons die, uh, Naomi uh, goes to head off to Bethlehem. And Ruth comes running after and says, please take me with you, please take me with you. And Naomi, I think, uh, probably a w- just feeling horrible uh, and destitute about the, the sins that she's committed. I mean, Ruth is just a living, a living reminder of that she left Bethlehem, that she, uh, her sons married these Moabite uh, women, and just a reminder of her sins. She's like, no, you stay, you stay, you stay. You, you, this is where you belong. You don't belong in Bethlehem. Uh, go with your people, the Moabites. And Ruth is like, no, no, I don't. I don't want to be here anymore. I want to be with you, and I want to be with your God. So this is kind of like a conversion experience uh, for Ruth. She just becomes a new Christian, full of faith, full of life. Naomi's on the other side. She's this bitter old woman, and uh, this is kind of where we pick up the story in, in chapter 2, verses 1. And we're just going to kind of go through this verse by verse, about 12 verses this morning, and uh, pick out, we're going we're gonna to see this romance between Naomi and this guy Boaz that we'll begin to read about. But there's more to it than just that. So we'll just 
go through this verse by verse and pick out a few things. So verse 1. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man. This is a worthy man whose name was Boaz. So Boaz was a worthy man. He is a man of a good standing. That's what his name means, a man of good standing. He was a distinguished man, an honored man, a prominent man, a man of, of wealth and means, uh, worthy of respect, worthy of honor, worthy of imitation. He's, his, uh, he's strong. He's respectable. He runs a successful business. He, he's a bit older. He loves God. And he's single. Kind of an odd mix. Um, ladies, look for Boaz's. Emelech, thumbs down. Uh, Malon, thumbs down. Klingong, or whatever the guy's name is. All these guys, these are no good. Those men, you don't want those men. You don't want men looking, look for greener pastors. You don't want to look for people who run and hide. This guy, Boaz, when things get difficult, he stays. Uh, Boaz, the, the name means strong, lively, vigorous. When Solomon erected his temple, he called one of the pillars in front of the temple Boaz. Uh, he's a man's man. He doesn't wear a sweater vest. He doesn't drink decaf coffee. He has no idea who Justin Bieber is. He, he, is, he is this guy. He's a man. And uh, with all due respect to the Dosecki's guy, Boaz is the most interesting man in the world. He is that kind of a guy. He, he does it all. So that, who's, that's who Boaz is. And Ruth, the Moabite, the girl from the wrong town, the wrong background, the wrong history, the wrong religion, the girl with nothing going for but a brand new Christian, says to Naomi, the bitter mother-in-law, let me go to the field and glean amongst the ears of the grain after him, in whose sight I shall favor, talking about the Lord. So here's Ruth, just full of faith, just full of life. And like, I just believe that if I go out and do this, God will show me favor through someone. And so she goes and gleans. Now what gleaning is, it's like, it's like the modern day uh, welfare system, or I should say the Hebrew welfare system uh, of the day. Um, God commanded his people who owned fields not to harvest the entire field, but to leave the edges for the widow, the orphan, the immigrant, uh, the poor. God commanded his people to do that. Now, but owners weren't always cooperative. In fact, it was very dangerous for someone to go and do that, especially a, a young woman like Ruth. But out of, she's starving, she's hungry, she wants to take care of her mother-in-law, and she just believes in the goodness of God. So with faith, she goes out and do this. So she goes out and glean, which is like the equivalent. Ruth is like the equivalent of someone living in a shelter who spends her days collecting aluminum cans to get a little bit of money for herself and for her mother-in-law. She is in a very, very desperate, destitute situation. But she's full of faith. And so she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she just happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. I mean... The, the, the Bible here, the, the writer of Ruth here, is, is, is kind of making a point and using a bit of irony um, when it says, when he says, the writer says, that she just happened to come upon this land. She just, out of all the fields, she just so happened. You know, you know some girls just have all the luck. I mean, she just came, she just happened to come across the single, successful, rich guy who loves the Lord, she just so happened. 
seems like chance to the casual version, uh, the observer. But this is the providential hand of God at work. God is sovereign over the good times. God is sovereign over the bad times. And he works out all things for good for those who love him. What Christians believe, if you're a Christian here, what we believe is we don't believe in luck and chance. In fact, Isaiah 65, 11 rebukes those who, who ascribe things to luck and chance. But we believe in the providential goodness, hand, the good hand of God, that he is a, he is a, he is a benevolent um, he, he's, he's benevolent, he's in charge, he, he's a good God. We don't believe in karma, we don't be, believe in luck. And this is what I love about Ruth, is that in the midst of very dire circumstances, in the, in the midst of it, she, she believes in the goodness of God, she believes that God's hand is going to move on her behalf. And this is what I want us to notice, and this is, a, this is good for all of life, but it's particularly good in dating, is that God put Ruth in front of Boaz, and God put Boaz in front of Ruth. Neither one of them was necessarily looking for each other, but they were both seeking to put God's will first, trusting in God with all their heart. In fact, that's what Proverbs says, is that very famous passage. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Don't like take things up in your own, like what you think is best. In all your ways, how many ways should we trust in God? All of them. You know, what, what does Jesus know about finances? What does he know about buying a house? What does he know about dating? He was single. What does he know about dating? In all your ways, acknowledge him. And this is what he does. He makes your path straight. One translation says he makes your path obvious. Some of us are just like, what do I do? And who do I, you know, what do I do? Da, 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 da. Just like, well, the Bible's very simple. It's like, this is what it says. It says, trust the Lord. Like Ruth. Like Ruth. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Guess what's going to happen? He's going to lead you to the exact spot that he wants you to be. And then, and behold, Boaz. Well, what do you know? Boaz comes along. Came from Bethlehem. He rolled up in his Mercedes to check on his business. He said to the reapers, which were who? They were employees. He says, the Lord be with you. And they answered. What did they answer? You going to looking at that? And the Lord bless you. Now there's a boss for you. How many of you show up to work and your boss shows up? You're in your cubicle. The boss shows up and says, and he just shows up and says, hey, the Lord bless you. Just starts quoting verses at you and praying over you. And then you pop out of your cubicle and you're like, and the Lord bless you. Many of you are like, man, my boss, he has a pitchfork and a tail. He's not. My boss is the devil. Boaz is a great guy. He is successful yet benevolent. He is powerful and responsible yet servant-hearted. And he shows up on the job site and just says, Lord, the Lord be with you. And these blue-collar, hard-nosed people who work the field... In return, say, and the Lord bless you. What a great place to work. I mean, to, there's a lot of great pat, part of this. Uh, there's a gr- lot of great parts of the, in this passage in Ruth. But to be honest with you, this was, to me was the most surprising and the most convicting part of it. I want to carry with me wherever I go the blessing of the Lord and I want to speak it over people and I want to pray it over people. Those of you here this, who are bosses, who are parents, Um, who are community group leaders, I just want to encourage all of us 
to pray blessing, to speak blessing and to pray blessing over the people that we lead. It makes a massive difference. You read this about Job. Job was, Job was considered a very righteous man. And what he did every morning is he got on his knees and he prayed for his sons and his daughters because he says, perhaps they've done something they shouldn't have done and I want to see them come back to the living God. Mom, uh, moms and dads, parents, get on your knees and pray blessing over your children. Community group leaders, pray blessing over those that you lead. Bosses, pray bless. Whether you can say this verbally or not, whether you can show up, maybe you can. But what, do it, whatever, however you do it, pray blessing over them. And for you employees and community group members and you sons and you daughters, you pray blessing over those who lead you. These employees are like, we want, we want you, we want Boaz, we want you to be blessed. We want you to be blessed. We are called to, to love and pray for those who lead us. I know free speech is in the Bill of Rights, which means that we get to complain about those in authority over us. But let it not be so for those who claim the name of Jesus, regardless of what you think about them, or her, or whoever they are. Hebrews thirteen seventeen says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them. No condition, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for it is no advantage to you. If you're the kind of person who just complains about the people, you're, you're actually hurting yourself. Because they, in God's wisdom, not yours, in God's wisdom, God in his wisdom put them to lead you. And here's the beauty of this. The, we can, those of us who are bosses, parents, um, community group leaders, we can pr- pray blessing over the people that we lead, whether they're a blessing or not. In fact, if they're not a blessing, all the more reason to pray, right? Same thing with bosses and parents and community group leaders. All the more reason to pray blessing over them if you do not think that they're doing a very good job. I pray you bless them and do it quick because my life is in danger here. Then Boaz says to this young man who is in charge of the reapers, this is the college grad with the clipboard who knows how to use Excel, the foreman. Boaz is a leader of leaders. He's just a great guy. He's an older man. I don't know how old, but he's an older man. Who's young, whose young woman is this? Where's she? You know, I don't remember hiring her. Where's she come from? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is a young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, this is Ruth said to this foreman, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Ruth is a hard worker. She's not asking for a handout. She's not even claiming what is in the law, her right to glean the edges of the field. But she asked permission. She also has this, some, this soft and humbleness about her as well. And this caught the attention of Boaz. So he says, hey, you know, what, what, is, what is the good of this woman? Tell me about this woman. And he begins to uh, go on about his character. And I just want to pause here for a second and talk... Uh, Maybe just to the single women, but not necessarily just a single woman. It says here that she's been working from early morning until now, only taking a short rest. Let me ask you a question. How many here think that after a long day of working in the field, that 
Ruth looks her best. No makeup, hair in a ponytail, dirt in, in the creases, looks bad, smells bad. One peasant dress has got to be just nothing. But yet, but yet, she grabs the attention of Boaz. Let me just say this. Men who are the caliber and character of Boaz are attracted to character and not just beauty alone. Look, I'm not saying that you shouldn't take showers, fix your hair, wear makeup. Um, But I just want to ease your conscience, or I want to ease your mind, and I want to encourage you to spend time improving the right part of you. Um, I mean, I think that, well, let me say this. I'll say it this way. Let me give you some advice from the world of fishing. How many, do you know what fish, how fishermen decide what bait to use? Do you know how they decide that? Depends on what they're fishing for. And I, I just want to say, like, how, how should you present yourself to others? Well, it depends upon what guy you're fishing for. If you're fishing for a guy like Boaz, a man of character, you need to fish with your character. You need to take a page out of Ruth, who's this amazing woman. She's this Proverbs 31 woman that we all hear about. In fact, uh, I was talking to Steve Miles, our location pastor down in Washington. He was reminding all of us uh, that in the Hebrew Bible, Ruth comes after Proverbs because she's the quintessential example of what this woman looks like. To, look, to aspire to be like, to be hardworking, to, to endure hardship, to not be a, afraid of work, to not be idle with your hands, to, to be a person of character, to be a person of loyalty, to put others before yourself, like she did with her mother-in-law. If you troll with your outer beauty alone, the moment he sees you will, be, will represent the peak of his interest in you. If in your mind you're thinking, I've got to attract someone with my outer beauty, the moment he sees you, and that, that's all you bring, the moment he sees you is the peak of his interest. And then you date God. And then, like, for you, it's just kind of like, man, everybody I date, it's like, you know, a mo- after a month, you know, it's just like it's always up and down. And, you know, I thought he really liked me, but now he doesn't really like me anymore. Now you're writing songs like you're Taylor Swift, and it's just like all over the place. And, <laughs> And then you begin to say things like, well, all men are like, all men are like. Let me just say, all men aren't like. All men aren't like. All the guys that you date are like. Because let's just take a look at the last five people you dated. There was you and him, you you and him, you and him, you and him. The common denominator between all those is you. You are the common denominator. You are the one who's involved in all of these situations. Now, I'm not, I'm not making a broad, sweeping um, rubber stamp of men out there. But I am saying that all men aren't like that. And single men, I won't forget about you. I want you, I want you to pay really close attention to, to Boaz. He's a worthy man. He's a, he's a prudent man. He's an honorable man. 
And he looks for character in a woman, not just beauty. In fact, her beauty is, is unknown to us. Some of you men have a standard of a woman who just, just doesn't exist. And even if they did exist, I doubt they would be interested in you anyway. I mean, let's, you know, we, men and women do this. They have this list. They have this external, superficial list. How many of you men have a homeless, immigrant woman who dumpster dies for a living on your list? As a bonus prize, a bitter mother-in-law. That's what I want. I'm looking for a homeless peasant who smells like trash who has this old woman who's bitter as baggage to come along with. You don't. You you, you just don't. Here's one of the things. This this is one of probably, if I had a list of top five advice, you know, statements for those who are seeking out someone else. Please, please get rid of your superficial list of what you want. And a spouse. Just get rid of it. There's, there's several reasons for that. Number one, it's just not wise. I know you're amazing, smart, well-adjusted people, but you are not wise enough. You are not wise enough to know the kind of person that you need. And something that would, no one would de- debate is that our culture seeks men and women based upon compatibi- compatibility. And I think we'd all agree that culture, by and large, does not get uh, love for a lifetime right they just don't. If you have this superficial list of what you want out of a spouse, I'm just saying, for the love that all is, please get rid of that, that list. It's not wise. James 4 says, do not say I, you'll go to such and such town and make a profit in a year from now, only if the Lord wills. Which means you don't, you don't live life saying, here's a list of things that I want to do in the future. This is the kind of person I want to be with. Don't say that. Um, Proverbs says, a man makes his plans, but God directs his steps. You know what God's saying there? Your list of what you want of a spouse is really stupid. Because you have a list over here, and God's the one who's going to bring you. If you're, if you're humble, if you're submitted to his will, if you're submitted to his providential hand, he's going to just happen to bring you to Boaz's field. He's just going to happen to bring you to Ruth. Get rid of that list. Get rid of that list. Um, Rachel, when she first met me, um, or excuse me, when she first began to realize that she might have feelings for me, she prayed to God, God, please don't make me marry him. I don't want to marry him. She's encouraging. We get, we're... we're um, our anniversary is uh, in a few weeks, 15 years. But the, um, she would have, I was not on her list. Just wasn't. I was the opposite of her list. Uh, the only thing the Bible says is don't marry an unbeliever. Look for someone who's a believer. So here's the criteria. Someone who's a believer who wants to go in the same direction that you are. Yes, you should be physically attracted to them. I think they would appreciate that. But... 
it, it, it's not this superficial, you know, they like to play tennis and they, you know, they, they're outdoors or not outdoors. I mean, that's just superficial stuff. In the end of the day, it does not matter at all. Ruth is a woman of outstanding character. Boaz notices her character. Women, work on your character. Men, find women of character. And I want you to know the progression, men. He, he knows the Lord. He gets a job. He talks to a girl. He knows the Lord. He stops going to hell. He starts going to work. And then he talks to a girl. That's simple. It's, all, it's no other point than that. You need to know the Lord. You need to get a job. <laughs> and then you can talk to a girl. Girls, two questions. Two most important questions. Do you love Jesus and where do you work? If it's not a good answer, just move on. Not, not ever. I'm not saying... And, and just to say, just to say, just to say, like, please don't over... Um, Boaz is a tremendous guy. Not every guy that you should look for needs to be the successful. Guys, if you are a hardworking guy and you don't have this kind of success that you see in Boaz, I don't want you to feel like you're less than a man. And I wouldn't want you to feel like this means that, you know, you're not good enough. Because that's just not true. That's not the point. The bigger point about Boaz isn't that he is successful. The bigger, financially, the bigger point is the character that he had. Then Boaz uh, says to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, reminding us here that there's quite an age disparity. Do not glean in another field or leave this one, but stay close to my young woman. He provides community for her. This, he provides community for her, and as you go on, because she doesn't have any friends, she's new to the community, she, he's like, hey, you're, it's like, hey, you're new to this church, so here comes this girl, um, you know, he goes to Jubilee, here comes this girl, brand new, he doesn't ask her out first. He says, I want to introduce you to other women. I want you to have, you don't know anyone here. I want to welcome you into our community and I want you to have community. Here's some women. And he steps back. And then he says, I want to take care of your needs. So he's generous with her. And then he says, have I not charged the young men not to touch you? He, he protects her, like an older brother. Just like, and just like Paul told Titus to command the young men in Titus 2, to tr- young men, you treat young women like sisters. He's treating Ruth like an older brother. And he tells these young men in this field, you better not touch Ruth. I've got a big field, and no one will find your body if you do. <laughs> That's how we roll in Bethlehem. And so... He protects her. So he doesn't come and like makes this move. But he looks after, let me say it this way. He's more interested in her well-being than he is in being in a relationship with her. There are many people who love the way they feel when they're around someone else, but they don't actually love the person. How do you know the difference? Because he's saying, look, I'm not going to get in the way of you and God. You're a new Christian. You have this amazing face and this amazing character. I can see there's amazing things in you. But what I know that you really need is, first of all, you need community. You need to be around other women. And here's some women for you. I'll step back. And then he says, um, I want to you know, provide for you. I want to help you. I- I'm interested in your, you. 
Then she fell on her face, bowing on the ground, which is an, an ancient Eastern cultural sign of respect and gratitude. Don't read too much into that. Women don't have to fall at the feet of other men. Um, and she asked, why have I found favor in your eyes? It's a very good question. Ruth does here what every single woman should do when another man treats her, another single man treats her special. Why are you being so nice to me? What's your plan? What's your intention? What do you, what's, what's, where, you know, hey, thank you. I, I'm star, thank you for the food. Thank you for the friend. Thank you for all this. You're great. You're wonderful. You've been a total gentleman to this point. Um, you know, what's your angle here? What's, what's going on? What, 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 do you, what do you hope out of this? Women of, women of character integrity ask that question. Where's this headed? And men of integrity are okay with that question. They're not defensive. They're not defensive about it. Hey, well, you know, I'm being nice to you. You know, you should be great. You know, no, of course. Now check out his answer. All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has fully been told to me and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before you. This is what he's saying. Ruth, your reputation precedes you. Your character and integrity are stunning. You've left homeland to come here and follow God and be with God's people. You've not asked for a handout, but you've worked very, very hard, not just for your own needs, but for the needs of your bitter mother-in-law. You've risked everything. You've risked everything to trust in the Lord. Ruth, I admire you. I honor you. I respect you. I'm not trying to flatter you. I'm trying to encourage you. He's wealthy. He's successful. He loves Jesus. And he gives an amazing answer. And if that wasn't enough, he's going to pray for her. Lord, he, he just prays over her. Lord, I, I repay, Lord, repay for what you have done. And a full, may the Lord repay you, excuse me, for what you have done. And a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wing you have come to take refuge. What an amazing way for a relationship to start. These two find each other. These two men and women of outstanding character find each other not by bar hopping or putting themselves in a place to be noticed. But they find each other because they both trusted God. They both, they both made getting uh, under the wing of God their number one priority. And his providential hand brought them together. It reminds me of what Paul says to the Corinthians because, uh, you know, he's like, is God pro-marriage? Is he pro-single? You know, how, you know, what does God want for me? And what is the right place to be? Paul's answer is that it's not better to be single and it's not be to, better to be married. What is better is that regardless of who you are, or what stage of life you're on, that you have your eyes fixed on Jesus. So much so that everything else is a distant, distant second. What was Ruth's preoccupation? Finding a mate? No. It was living the life that God had lived living the life that God had for her, living that out day by day, trusting in his providential hand. What was, the, what was Boaz about? He was successful. He was wealthy. He was a man of kindness and character who loves the Lord. He's older now, but somehow, somehow isn't married. Why not? Boaz 
lifted, or excuse me, Boaz lived his day, lived out his days day by day, trusting in God's providential hand over his life. Was it worth the wait? Not only did they get married, but they have a son named Obed. Obed gives, has a son named Jesse. Jesse has a son named David, who would become King David. And several hundred years later, in that same town of Bethlehem, Ruth and Boaz would have their part in the genealogy of the Christ child, who was born in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes, who was the Lord of lords and King of kings. You have no idea the impact You have no idea the impact of your life when you trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. The things that he has laid before you are amazing and incredible and beyond your understanding. Wherever you're at in your life, you can both have what Ruth had and Boaz had, which has nothing to do with them finding each other. The thing that was the most important thing to them, the thing that gave them life, the thing that gave them their security, the thing that gave them their hope, wasn't each other. It was that they took refuge under the wing of God. Trust God for your health, your business, your children, your companionship, your matrimony. Got a lot of questions, just like people asking, like, you know, is dating a young person's game? The Bible and God's plan for you, whether you're old or young, isn't to find hope in this world. It's not to find hope in a job. It's not to find hope in a money. It's not to find hope in leisure. Jesus said, the Gentiles, those who don't know that they have a Father in heaven, who loves them, seeks after those things. You seek them not. Don't be like them. Don't seek after them. Is it okay to have them? Absolutely. Most of them are a blessing from God. But if you seek them, if you make that your priority, if if that's the thing that you need in order to feel like a whole person, Jesus is like, "Don't, don't be that way. God wants to bring all of us, old and young, married, never married, widowed, divorced, whatever. He wants to bring you under his wing. Check out what Jesus says toward the end of his life. In Matthew 23, he says, Oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered your children together as hen gathers her brood under her wings and you are not willing? Jesus, all he wants, he wants to bring, here's the thing, you know, married and unmarried, doesn't matter. He wants to bring you under his wing. The biggest mistake you could make isn't in how you date or not date, how you're married or not married. The biggest mistake you could make in life is not getting under the wing of the Almighty. To seek the refuge. The, the, the real story of this, the real hero of this story, excuse me, isn't Boaz, it's Jesus. Jesus says in Luke 24 that the entire Bible is about him. And Jesus is the true and better Boaz. He saw us in our helpless state with no provision, no protection. We are foreigners. We were products of sin, doomed to fall in the hands of of the devil and his demons. But our Boaz, Jesus Christ, did not give up his wealth for us, but he gave up his life. 
to redeem you and to save you. We all need to take refuge under the wing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Ruth did, and it sustained her more than the food, and it satisfied her more than companionship. Jesus is the one that we ultimately need to take refuge in.